First Peter 5. Uh, last week, Andy began the chapter. Uh, he titled his message, The Chief Shepherd Has a Humble Flock. And um, you remember, he, he, the, the beginning of First Peter 5 talks a lot about the elders of the church uh, and just uh, how the elders are to be humble examples of Jesus. And uh, at the end of that text, it started to move into then how the congregation follows the lead of those under-shepherds who are pointing them to Jesus. So today, we're going to continue on that string of thought. Uh, I didn't come up with a, with a better title, so I'm calling my message this morning, The Chief Shepherd Has a Humble Flock, Part 2, all right? Because that's really what Peter's doing. He's just continuing on in that, uh, that same uh, string of thinking about instructions to the church, how to live uh, again, in this difficult world, uh, in, in, in a world full of pressure and that pressure that is pressing in on the church, what has he given to us uh, to, to look to him and to cling to him and to follow him and to do that together? Here's what I want you to imagine as we, um, as we be- begin to read here further in the text. Imagine that you're a shepherd, all right? I think Andy brought this up last week. Like, like not many of us have any experience with shepherding. Probably not many of us have ever even been near a sheep. I think you said that. That's probably true. Uh, but imagine, if you can still, that you're a shepherd, you're, 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 you're tending a herd of sheep somewhere out in the wilderness, and you're about to cross into territory that's known for lion activity. Okay? You're leading this little flock, and you're, you're walking into a spite. You know that lions are active there, there are big lions, there are hungry lions, and those lions you know would love nothing more than to devour all these little sheep that you're leading and that you've been entrusted with their care. And so suppose as you're prepping your flock to enter into this dangerous territory, you remember that there's this one little sheep in your fold that has this tendency to sort of wander off on its own from time to time. You remember that, that little sheep that you know is, is prone to wander and you're worried about that little sheep as you're entering into this dangerous territory. This little sheep is just it's young, it's maybe a little bit brash. She doesn't always follow your voice like the other sheep tend to do. Um, she's independent. She's prideful. She's headstrong. It leads to her wandering and doing things her own way. I've never uh, tended sheep, but I have a dog like that, right? <laughs> I'm sort of thinking of my dog as I'm, I'm imagining this picture. Just this little headstrong, independent dog that likes to go do her own thing. So you've got this sheep. Now, let's say that, just for the sake of argument and for fun this morning, you, you could talk to the sheep, and the sheep would understand you just this one time. You could speak your English words, and the sheep would, would totally track with you, all right? What would you say to that sheep? You knew you, you have one shot here to let the sheep know, like, this is the most important thing. What would you say to it? I think what you might say to her would be something like this. Um, stop being so independent. Stop being so prideful, right? Don't wander off. If you do, you might get eaten by a lion. Seem reasonable? Pretty simple, right? But that's probably what you'd say. Don't wander. Stay close. Quit being so independent. Don't get eaten. 
And if you get that, that seems like the reasonable thing that you would say to a sheep in that situation, then you probably understand the main point of this text. Because I think that's what Peter is saying to us as the sheep of the fold of God is watch out, stop being so independent, stay close. There's danger out there. But there's safety in the fold. That's the main point of the text. Let's look at it together. I'm going to go back and read the beginning of chapter 5 just so that the whole thing flows. So verses 1 through 11. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now here's where our text today begins. Verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter's words now to the congregation, to the sheep in the fold, after he's addressed the elders, are to start by saying, likewise, like I've just addressed the elders, and I think what he means there is, in the the likewise, is because I've addressed them as a fellow elder, because I've addressed them as an apostle, I'm addressing you likewise now as your elder, as an apostle to you. So I think he's, he's, uh, he's demonstrating here pastoral exhortation and authority. But I think he's also saying in the likewise, sort of this um, like, likewise, because of everything that I've been saying to you throughout this whole letter. Think about what's been told and taught to you throughout this entire discourse. Remember what I've said, because you are living as exiles in the world. You are God's people. You've been called out of your, your sinful past and the sinful uh, 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 kingdom of the world, domain of the world, the domain of darkness. You're now living as exiles. And because as exiles, you are suffering. Because you're experiencing persecution at the hands of those who rejected Christ, they're now rejecting you. But also because... God is using that. It's not just that you're, you're victims of this evil 
persecution in the world, but God is at work in all of that. He's using this suffering to both judge the world and to purify his church. Remember, because judgment begins with the household of God. There's there's purpose in all of this, in other words. Remember that God is doing something. In his grace, God has set good and humble under-shepherds over the church to lead you to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. So in all of these things that I've taught to you, remember and therefore live in a humble way. Live in a humble way towards your leaders. Live in a humble way towards one another. And ultimately, live in humility before God. Again, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You know, as I, as I uh, contemplate this exile language, we've talked about this several times because the language comes up over and over again. There's this picture of the exodus from the Old Testament, right? The exiles of, Egypt, of, of, of Israel leaving Egypt and, and going out into the wilderness, right? There's also the, the second um, uh, exile of them going into Babylon. There's, all, there's, there's lots of exile language in the Old Testament. And I think that's helpful imagery here. Uh, so what's happening now, this idea that you now in the church age are also exiles in a similar way. Think back to the first exodus from Egypt of God's people under Moses. What, what, what happened there? Well, if, if, you're, if you're familiar with the biblical story, or, or maybe you, you saw you know, even some of the movies growing up, right? you get a general sense that they were, they were in slavery in Egypt. They were living in this oppressive situation, and God comes to them and promises to lead them out of that oppression and slavery into a promised land of hope. He promises to give them this inheritance from him. And they were given a shepherd leader. They were given Moses. And Moses then delegated that leadership that God had bestowed on him to others who would also be able to give similar leadership, sort of this under-shepherd roles throughout so that the people would be led well and shepherded well. We see that in Deuteronomy 18. But what happened in the wilderness? They, they get delivered out from Egypt. They get, God, God cares for them. He gives them the law and he gives them leadership. But what happens? The exodus was really marked by a lot of pride. It was marked by a lot of complaining. It was marked by rebellion and discontent and all kinds of idolatry. And why was that? The reason was because of just a, a general lack of faith. A lack of faith. Despite the faithful provision of God, the people continued to look back to where they came from. They grumbled and complained because they, they started to think, maybe we had it easier before, right? They grumbled and they looked back. They were suffering in the desert and they were, they were wanting control rather than 
to trust in the sovereign goodness of God. As we consider that picture in the Old Testament, there's no doubt that the exodus of the Jews from Egypt was, was a foreshadowing of the deliverance that was to come through Christ. That God would deliver his people out of not just the oppression of Egypt, but ultimately out of the oppression of sin itself. And set up over them uh, the chief shepherd. And Peter's telling the churches in Asia Minor that this, this new exodus under that chief shepherd, Christ, has come, right? And so look at how verses 5 to 7 address similar concerns for God's people today. What does he tell them? He says, be humble. Be humble. Listen to your leaders. Submit to one another. And cast your anxieties on God. What is anxiety? Anxiety is, is pride. There's a lot of similarity there. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about anxiety. Because when we're told here to submit ourselves to one another, to follow the leaders that God has placed over us, uh, I think it's fair to admit that that can be an anxiety-inducing thing. Humble yourself. Submit yourself to, to other people's leaderships. And in a day and age that we live in, that is, that is not the message that we're taught, right? We're taught, believe in yourself. You do you, right? Trust, trust that inner voice inside of you. Uh, let your feelings be what dictates what you believe and how you live, right? Th this idea of, of humbling ourselves, and, which is an admission that I need help. I, I am not the the, the master of my domain. I, I am not leading myself in, in, in the right direction. I need help. I need care. I need to come under authority and leadership and guidance that's rooted in God's Word. That can be an anxiety-inducing thing unless we begin to understand this. There's not just, as I spoke with somebody earlier today, it's not just a, a what that's being taught to us here. This is what you should do. But there's a why you should do it, attached. Because God is good and he cares for you. God is delivering you. And therefore you can trust him. What's the antidote to anxiety? Faith. Faith is the antidote to anxiety. And what is faith? Faith is a trust in the gospel. Look at verse 9. As he talks about resisting Satan, he says, resist him firm in your faith. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's a faithful trust in the truths of the gospel. And that abandons pride for dependence upon God. God, if you're my deliverer, if, if, you're, if you're the one who, who really truly cares for me and knows what's best for me, then, then i got to stop 
holding on to my own way, and I've got to let go of that and just trust you. I've got to trust you. That's what he's encouraging the church to do here. What's the warning here? What's the warning of danger? If, if we fail to, to trust by faith and to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the, to the care of the, of the shepherds and, and, and the safety of the fold of the flock, what danger lurks if we fail to heed these words? Verse 8, he says, Be sober-minded and watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's the danger. Satan's desire is to devour us. The big picture that Peter is painting here reflects a, a spiritual reality, a spiritual battle that's been waging since the beginning of time. And he's saying it's nearing its apex here in the church age. The reason why all this pressure is being experienced is because God's redemptive plan is nearly complete. Christ has come, right? He's come, he's conquered sin and death at the cross. He has, he has issued the death warrant for Satan and evil. So what's that evil going to do? It's, it's going to do what you do when you get cornered. It's going to push back hard. It's going to react more strongly. The redemptive plan of God is playing out, and there's two sides at work. There is, there is God and his redemptive purposes, and then there's the, the conquered evil that's in its last gasp-ditch effort going to push back as hard as it can. And he's saying, be careful. Because what's, what's that evil setting its sights on? That which threatens it. The gospel and those who carry the gospel. That's you, church. But what does he say to them? He says, look, our call is to remember the sovereignty of God, to remember his care for his flock, to remember the ultimate victory of Christ through the cross over all of the schemes of the devil. And that's why it's important. This is where it's important to go back to this biblical worldview that he's been, he's been giving to us and, and revealing to us throughout the letter. He's saying, remember, yes, evil is at work. There is difficult stuff out there. There is pressure out there. There's persecution out there. Evil is at work. And yes, it targets believers. But what the devil and the world intends for evil, God intends for your good. Remember, God's at work in all of this. God is sovereign over all of this. He's got a purpose. The blows of wickedness through suffering are guided by God to become tools of purification for his people. So remember that. Even as this danger exists, God is over all of it. He's at work. You know, I think about Job. Again, another Old Testament example. And, and this roaring lion, Satan, approaches God in heaven, right? And he asks him, you know, hey, who, what, what trouble can I get into today, right, <laughs> essentially? Amazingly, God, God points out Job to him. Have you considered my servant Job? That's a pretty amazing thought, right? But what is, what's occurring in all of that? God, God is, is, is allowing Satan freedom to wreak havoc on the life of a follower of God for a greater purpose. 
a greater purpose to lovingly refine Job and to, to deepen his faith and his worship of God. And what happens to Job? He loses his status, right? He loses his, 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 his material things, his house, his, his employment, his job, everything is, is consumed in a moment. He loses his health. He loses his family. He loses his relationships. He deals with some significant suffering and significant trials. And why? Because Satan was prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So I wonder, do any of you feel a little bit like Job this morning? Very keenly aware of of the losses and the sufferings and the difficulties. Satan still prowls around like a roaring lion today. And Peter wants us to be mindful of that. But who do prowling lions tend to have the most success going after? Think back to my opening illustration. Who do prowling lions have the most success going after? The strays. Those who've who've wandered from the fold. Those who've forgotten that the voice of the shepherd is the voice to follow. Those who've forgotten that the safety of the flock and the care of the under-shepherds is is where protection can be found. Those who've forgotten that humility is is called for and and who think on their own, you know, I got this, I can do my own thing. It's the strays who are most susceptible to the attacks and the successful attacks of the roaring lions. So Peter's, he's calling them to something here, like, pay attention Stay humble. Stick together. Follow the, follow the leaders that God has given to you. Don't be vulnerable like that. And he encourages them to respond here in verses 8 and 9. Again, be sober-minded. Have this proper worldview. Remember what, what, what this world is and what God is doing in it and what the threats and the dangers are. And then verse 9, resist. Resist the schemes of the devil Harkens back to chapter 4, verse 3. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Resist all of that. And stand firm in the faith. Stand firm of the faith. Chapter 5, again, verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. They're standing firm in the faith here. The proving of my faith is happening. Will I be refined or will I be destroyed? It depends on where I put my trust. Do I trust in myself or do I trust in Christ? Listen, all of this is really just summation of, of what he's been trying to say to us throughout this letter. And I, this is my last sermon in 1 Peter. All right? Andy's going to finish up next week, but um, I want to give that same summation to you all. We've been walking through this text for the last three months or so, right? And there's, a, there's such an important 
message here to the church that I think is so timely and relevant for us today. And I, and I want to say, I think, especially to those of us who are young, and there's a lot of us in this room who are young, what God wants us to understand, and I hope you'll grasp this, is that, yeah, this life is hard. There, is, there are lots of difficulties, and that's not unusual. That shouldn't catch you by surprise. And it's going to be especially true, again, if you're a follower of Jesus. And why is that? Because as followers of Jesus, you represent all that the world pushes against. But unlike the message of the world which is so loud and so strong right now that would tell you to be uh, angered by that, that would tell you to be uh, overcome by that, that would tell you to be, uh, to be fearful or to, that would tell you to, to be victimized and, and feel oppressed and helpless by that where your only responses are to either scream back at it in anger or cower away from it all in fear. That God wants you to understand that there's something bigger happening in the world than just that. There's a God who has a purpose and a plan. There's a God who's redeeming all of this brokenness and he's calling a people to himself. And he's, he's declared that you are his children. And so now as his children, you are exiles in this world. You have a better home. You have a better hope. Christ is king. Christ is coming back. Christ is going to make it all okay. He's going to set it all right again. But until he does, as you represent him in this world, it's going to be hard. And Satan is prowling around and he's, he's seeking to devour after you. But what do you do? You just recognize, and young people, please hear me on this. You recognize this is normal life. This is the normal experience of the Christian. And your call, our call, our hope is to see that God is doing something bigger than that. He's refining us. He's preparing us. He's purifying us and making us holy. He's readying us for the day that Jesus comes back. And he's holding on to us. He's bigger than the evil. He's bigger than the oppression. He's bigger than the sorrow. He's bigger than the trials. And he's at work. So walk by faith. But importantly, as you walk by faith, Walk together. Submit yourselves to the structures that God has given to you in the family of God, in the fold of God. God is caring for you. God is providing for you. Don't stray away. Don't in your anxieties and in your pride feel like you, you're, you're better off on your own. You're not. God knows what he's doing. So follow him, trust him, submit yourselves to him and his structures. And what is your confidence in all of that? 
What is your confidence in all of that? Verse 10, after you suffered a little while. So yes, you're going to suffer a little while. But after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, establish you. That's your confidence. Those aren't words of hope, like, I hope he does this, maybe he'll do this. They're definitive promises. He will establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What's your confidence? That's your confidence. What's your confidence? Revelation 2, verse 10 says this, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That's your confidence. If God has called us to glory, he will get us to glory. And he's called us to glory. That's what chapter 1 was all about. He's faithful to the end. The inheritance is yours. He's going to get you there. Vindication is ours on that day. But for now, until that day comes, for now we fight and we resist sin and evil in humble dependence on Christ through faith, in humbly submitting to one another, deep dependence on the body of Christ, making the gospel our confidence because Jesus wins. To him be dominion forever and ever, forever and ever. He wins. And by the way, so will we. Because this one who has dominion forever, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So the application of all of this is to strengthen the church in days of difficulty. We are, remember I, I, I made that comment last week, uh, wimpy worldviews make for wimpy Christians. No wimpy worldviews. We know what God is doing. We don't, we're not, we're not, we're not uh, uh, naive about the difficulties and the sufferings of this world, but we know what God is doing. And we know where he's leading. And we have Christ as our shepherd, so we follow. These are instructions to the church in chapter 5, and they're here to, to instruct us how to, how to order ourselves. And these are things that we've taken seriously at Edgewater, and I want to encourage you to align yourselves with those ministry structures and those ministry opportunities and direction that, that have been offered to you for your spiritual health. This is how we, how we uh, uh, put into practice this idea of not straying from the flock, but sticking close. What do, we, what do we have available to us? You know what we have? We, we, have, we have church membership. 
which is what? It's a covenant. It's a commitment to one another to say, we're in this together. This, this fold has, 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 a, has a, its own you know, pen and, and its own shepherds and its own sheep that are committed in relationship to one another to provide this kind of care, this kind of partnership in the gospel. We have eldership. We have under-shepherds and leaders here that God has given to us to, to care for us. And I say that as one of them who needs the other ones to care and lead me. And he's given us discipleship. He's given us not only a commitment to one another as members to edify and build one another up. He's given us specific structures for us, for, for us to do that. One of those structures, by the way, is the Wednesday night Bible studies, right? That we, we would stick together and we would humble ourselves under the Word of God. And He's given us corporate worship where every week, every week, we, we come together under the ministry of the Word and of the sacraments to remind ourselves of the gospel. How good and great and gracious is our God that he's given to us this structure, this family, these regular occurrences together so that we can always be reminded of what's true. The gospel, our hope, our confidence, Christ's victory, its application for me. We need that over and over and over. Because this world and this life is hard. And it chips away at that every week. So every week we need this. We need it together. And that's my big pastoral application from First Peter as it leads us into coming before this table, this reminder of what's true, of who Christ is and what he's done and our shared unity and identity together in him, this broken body broken for us, this shed blood shed for us, that we would be forgiven, that we would be called in to the people and the family of God, that we would receive the inheritance of all that he has to offer in Christ. We do this as often as we do it to remember, and specifically to remember him. So I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. And as I've just explained what this table is, I'll add this to it. This is a table for those who have trusted Christ. So if that's you and you need that reminder again this week while they're playing the first song as we sing it together, come forward and take and take it back to your seat. And at the completion of the song, we'll as a family, as the people of God, we'll, we'll take communion together. All right? Why don't you stand? Let's respond to him in song and come when you're ready. <clears throat>